Okay, but listen, I got to tell you this. Wait, we haven't what? started the show. Are we starting the show? Oh, we're starting the show? Wait, aren't you doing that to start the show? Why do we never know how we're doing this? Okay, fine. <laughs> you, you you get it down. You get it down. I'll take it. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. All right. Yep. In three seconds. Two. Oh, my God. One. No. All right. Welcome back to the Bless Up Podcast. All right. Go ahead. Right now. This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. We're in studio with Corey and James. Um, oh, yeah, also, right there. Uh, in the corner is Becca. Becca. Um, we we have a new person you can just randomly hear us talk about on the show, and that is Becca, who actually runs all of our stuff. Um, and she's in here today. It's possible she'll end up getting pulled on to the mic at some point. I don't know. But listen, I don't have a question to start out because... I read a super interesting article, and I'm really excited to talk to you about yes. it specifically. Corey's been hanging I on to, to this, this for I read hours. It, I read it this afternoon, <laughs> and I said, "I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, Rach, James is going to lose it." And she's like, "She's like, oh, we got to tell him." And then when you got here, she was like, "Are you literally waiting until we're recording to tell him yeah. this?" And I was like, "Yes, I'm literally waiting so, until we're recording." So James has not heard any of this because Corey yes. wanted to get his actual reaction on this, air. Here we go. On this, air. <laughs> unlike any of our other content, which is totally. Totally scripted and prepared oh ahead gosh. of time. Uh, this, is, this is completely <laughs> off the cuff. So I read a super interesting article today. Uh, don't ask me. Don't ask me too many uh, decisive questions uh, about how I got to this point. But Food Atlas uh, recently released a list of the best fried chicken places in the world. Okay, the world. Yes, yes, yes. The best fried chicken I, places. I know. In the world. I know what one of them. I has uh, to be. literally, you know, literally, this is exactly know, what we know. What one of those this MFs is. Exactly is. This is exactly. <laughs> this is exactly. Uh, Jonathan, <laughs> or just keep that. <laughs> okay, literally, we know exactly where this. You know exactly where this is going already. Yes. Okay? So there's a list of the 90 best fried chicken places in the world, bro. This is a global. Did list. they go to all of these? I, I, listen, I just told you, don't ask me too many questions about it. Okay, I just they had read the to article. just had a bracket and a bunch of people in the room. And yeah, and they fought. They fought. <laughs> it was like March Madness. They didn't mark. Yeah. No. So, so what happened is, uh, yeah. I mean, they they compiled it. However, Food Atlas compiles stuff. Okay. So, whatever official way of getting to these measures, they got there. Ninety of the best fried chicken places in the entire world. There was some in France. There was some like all over the place. Right. Um, most of them were though in America because I mean, you know, hello. Um, but here's, here's, here's my takeaways from the list. Okay. Of the 90 that were published, five of them are in the state of Ohio. Okay. The most, the most common, uh, city in, uh, on the list was Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. But Ohio had five of the best fried chicken places in the entire world. One of them was in Cincinnati. Uh, it was the place that you and I, you, me and, uh, Dele went, uh, yeah. And uh, over the Rhine. That place was delicious. Yes. So shout out to Kentucky. So of the five, Cincinnati had one. All of the other four were from the same city. Do Canton? you know what city it was? Was it Canton? No. You know what city it was? Akron? It was Barberton. Oh, yeah. The oh, four the, Oh, the ma- the Magic. Made made Listen. listen. White House chicken. Yeah, that's that was one. That was one. 
Belgrade Garden. That was another one. That was actually the highest ranking one. They're tripping, but that's a that's a whole barbering story. The Village Inn. Uh-huh. Uh, what was fourth? Hoppikin. Hoppikin. Yes. See, so four of the best fried chicken places in the world are in Barberton, Ohio. In the world. In so, the world, bro. All right, so I've got to... did it. So I've got to... I've got to say a couple things about that. Um, <laughs> one, my family is black. Like, and it's a generational deal. I don't want, like, I don't wake up. I don't ever. I can't remember the last time I ate barbecue chicken. I, I never, like, I'd much rather, like, go to Showcase in Akron or, like, mm. or drive to Roosters or go to the hog here in Canton. Wow. I would much, I would much rather eat that. It's that, it's that like deeply breaded, greasy Hungarian style of chicken that I'm just not Serbian, but yeah, Serbian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not there for. I, wow. So if I, if I I want to talk to you about, if I have to, what it take, if I have to eat that chicken, I'm going to go to White House and get some wing dings. But my trip to White House is nine out of ten times more to get the hot rice. I love the hot rice. That hot rice, like, I want the hot rice or I want the coleslaw. I want, like, the sides. Not even the fries. And, man, my grandma and my grandpa, they would get, like, the wing ding boxes that were covered in grease. Like, and then my... My cousins, and like, we get the chicken backs. Yeah. Like, Auntie Camille will get the chicken backs, and she makes some macaroni, and it'd be a party. But, like, now that I think about it, even saying that, like, what the devil is a chicken back? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or like, <laughs> Bro, I didn't, didn't want to ask, but I didn't, I didn't. This is a staple. This is a holiday staple in my family. Oh, my gosh, it is. Oh, oh no. Is. Oh, no. People in that, people in that. As I like to say, that part of the world, the the, like, and if and if I'm, you're, and I'm if offended. You're from, I'm offended, but it's fine. No, if you're, I'm from that part of the world. If you're, if you're from that part of the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. I'm like, I'm not talking about Akron. Actually, I'm talking yeah. about, I'm talking about Barberton. I'm talking about Coventry. I'm talking about uh, Clinton. I'm talking about Franklin. I'm talking about like that, that back, yep. like that part of the world. Fools with barbered and chicken, yeah, heavy. Every, yeah, everyone does. Well, apparently, so is it Christmas? Is right? it? <laughs> so, what I needed you to know is that barbered and chicken is it, bro. It is it. And now, and now, Gosh. I have, I have a credible you source. Have a credible and source. You love to talk about <laughs> credible sources. <laughs> I have a credible source <laughs> that supports my love. It's of not Wikipedia. It's not pseudo. <laughs> It's not pseudo scholarship. That's, that's a, right. A primary source. I just needed you to know that I now have a credible source. Was, was Gus's fried chicken on? Gus's there? fried chicken was on there. Memphis fried chicken. Yep, yep. That, so was, that I can deeply. Yeah. Agree so with. was Roscoe's. Like all the all the classics that we know oh, and, and visit, oh. like we're on there. But yeah, it was. I just needed you to know. And and for what it's worth, the highest ranking of all the Ohio joints was Belgrade's, and it was number eleven, bro. It was number. Belgrade's 11. was higher than White House. It was almost a top ten, 10 in the world. world. Yes, so Belgrade's was higher than White House. Oh, this whole argument, this whole thing, has been a 
ridiculous ploy for me to say to you live on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, live. I'm right. Live on this podcast. I'm right. It's not I'm going right. to air live. I'm right. I am but, correct. But bro, like, and and again, people from that part, like, and again, I don't say it as if I'm not. I'm from that part of the world. People from that part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Black people my age and, <laughs> and lower will agree with me. I would much rather if I have if I have twenty bucks, I would much rather pull up at Angie's. Yeah. And get some wings from Angie's and some fries. I'd have a much better plate. Yeah, I have a much better plate than the chicken house. I don't want to go to the chicken house. I want to go to cleats. As special as this uh, discussion is, yeah, the fried chicken wars will continue. This, we don't. We, we can stop here because it's going to be ongoing. Shout it's, out to four four two zero three and beyond. <laughs> are you? Are you? Did you? Did you get what you were hoping I got, for? I, I, got, okay. I got what I needed. I got okay. what I needed. I feel better now. Okay, Bill uh, really better. Than <laughs> oh White my god, that's a better White House. Yeah, I just needed that. I just needed that. Congratulations. We just spent 10 minutes. Yeah, you, no, no, no. <laughs> you spent almost 12. Um, what, so would you would you like to introduce what we're actually talking about today? Yeah, if we have any listeners still left My best. Uh, after, after our heated uh, fried chicken debate. Um, yeah, what we actually want to talk about, which has nothing to do with uh, Barbed and Chicken and has everything to do with, uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, just to just to say it and get right into it and have a hard transition, uh, the pit of despair. Um, I think that I think that for all of us, uh, either we have we have been in a spot or we currently know somebody who um, who is in it. Uh, it's it's a place that occasionally, seasonally, uh, we find ourselves in where it's like, dang, I feel like nothing can go right. I feel like I can't I can't get on the right side of of good and um I'm not incredibly sure I'm just really discouraged and I'm not incredibly sure that um that I can get to where I'm trying to go. And I think that when we hit these these seasons of losing hope, uh the reason the reason that's that we call it the pit of despair is because anybody who who trips up uh into it uh, needs a ladder. Needs a ladder to get him out. Need needs some help. It's not a place that you feel like mentally or physically you can get out of on your own, right? And one of the things that we try to do with this podcast, and one of the things that we try to embody with our lives, is um, is being being the type of like influences um, that is not just like for self gain, but is beneficial for other folks. And as we specifically try to draw from the example of Jesus, I believe it's, it's not enough to like find a ladder to, to lend to somebody. Um, but ultimately for us to become a ladder for people to be able to, to climb out of the pit of despair. And so that's, that's what we actually wanted to get into, uh, today. We'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let it go over there for now, but I think that's um, that's where we're jumping off from. Pit of despair. You been there? Been there once or twice? <laughs> well, uh, today is <laughs> April twenty first, uh-huh. and it's Friday. Uh-huh. So four days ago was <laughs> Monday, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, and that would have been the seventeenth. Four days ago. Uh, Probably a day in my city that will 
live in infamy. Mm, yeah. So we're all kind of like in a daze there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Talk about it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, last summer in July, uh, there was a young man, Jalen Walker, and yeah, he got into got into a uh, situation with the police and they chased him and yeah while he may have been armed at some point when they chased him out of the car he wasn't armed and he uh yeah he was shot by the police they let off 90 rounds at him and 46 bullets uh hit him he died and uh his grand jury trial has been happening for the last two weeks and the verdict came down Monday and yeah there were no charges filed against any of the officers so yeah there's the emotional piece of this being a reoccurring scene throughout America's history and more recently with like iPhones like in video recordings like in social media just yeah just seeing it constantly because it was always happening, but just seeing it constantly. And then there's the piece of it just happening so locally. Like there's 200,000 people live in Akron, but Akron's a small town. So everybody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows Jalen Walker yeah. or that knows Pam Walker's mother or that knows Robert <laughs> DeJernet, like his pastor and his cousin or yeah, someone who's, intently tied into the situation so it's just been a really rough day of yeah of rough day rough week of protests and riots and lament and every response you could possibly think so yeah we're all just kind of in a state of state of despair there yeah i mean that's super tough um and completely understandable the the sense of the sense of despair not only for you personally but but for an entire city uh and for people for people all over the country because especially not even just throughout the last few years but throughout our country's history like this stuff it just feels like it's exhausting uh to deal with and you can see naturally how people would lose a sense of hope and feel a sense of despair um lose the uh the desire or um, the energy to keep fighting uh, what feels in, in moments like this like, like a losing battle. And I want to be clear, too, that like the tool that we plan to offer on this podcast today and in any session that that we have are not like our our response to our answers. Yeah, this is not by any means like our formula for social injustice or unrest in our streets. I just want, I just want to be like real clear uh, about that. It is just to say that this is what currently is causing a bit of despair uh, in your life, a bit of despair in our community, a bit of despair at this table uh, that that we're working for. Um, In moments like these for us, uh, as the Bless Up podcasters, (laughs) in moments like these for us, we choose to turn to the example of Jesus. Absolutely. Um, And as as you look at the example of Jesus all throughout Scripture even, um... But most especially in in John chapter four, which I'll let I'll let you get into in a second. Um, 
we feel like we see uh, Jesus becoming the ladder for people in their despair, the ladder by which we are able to climb out of a pit of despair. And what we see in these examples is Jesus offers three things. Jesus offers time, Jesus offers vision, and Jesus offers encouragement. As we specifically see it in John 4, you want to you wanna break that down? Yeah, and uh, John chapter 4 is interesting, and Rachel, dive in whenever you want. You've done whole studies on uh, nameless women in Scripture, so you know better than I do. But uh, John chapter 4 is an incredibly interesting passage in the rhythm of the book of John. John chapter 1, you get the prologue with Jesus. But what you also get is this like really interesting story of when Jesus is calling his disciples. There's a disciple, Nathaniel, who sees Jesus and he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So there's this statement like from this guy who's eventually going to follow Jesus. Basically, like there's this big like socioeconomic statement like, can anything good come from that place? come from nazareth and then you find like jesus in another like strange like sociological situation where in john chapter 2 jesus is at this wedding and before he turns water into wine there's like this piece you can't miss of mary being disappointed because mary doesn't have gifts for all the people who jesus brought to the wedding so Mary's basically like, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus turning the water into wine is an incredible miracle, but it's also Jesus like honoring his mother's social place and like giving them a gift. So there's already this rub like with the way that Jesus is like living his life and with the culture. And then in John chapter three, you see Nicodemus come to visit Jesus at night. This is like another situation. Then in John chapter four, uh, in the first part of John, it like climaxes here where you've got Jews and Samaritans and Jews hate Samaritans to the point where his disciples are like, why are like what's happening when Jesus says he must go through Samaria? They're like, uh, uh, all right. And Jesus goes through Samaria and he finds this woman at the well in the middle of the day. And Jesus finds this woman at the well in the middle of the day. And what Jesus is quite literally going to do is Jesus is going to do things that are so countercultural and so counterintuitive for a Jewish man and so against the grain that literally, I believe, is one of the things that makes the Bible reliable, that it even has stories, <laughs> that it even has stories like this in the midst of it where Jesus is going to do things that are so almost like scandalous and offensive to the culture of that day. But Jesus talks to this woman. Jesus cares for this woman. Jesus acknowledges this woman's personhood and he lifts it up. Jesus offers her living water. Jesus has a theological conversation with her, thereby dignifying her. He doesn't just shut her down. And ultimately, Jesus is going to provide this ladder that we're talking about and this ladder that we're talking about. She's literally going to climb and become that ladder for other people as we get to the end of the story. 
I think something that's super interesting about this passage, it's always been interesting to me, is um, verse, if we, so if you go to John 4 and you get to verse 27, it says, just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? What an wow. interesting thing <laughs> wow. for John to record, right? So John, John is in, including this on purpose because not only was she a Samaritan and not only was she a woman, but she was also there in the middle of the day, which tells us like three checks against her already in her social standing. And, and, it, and he says none of them had the nerve to ask what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Which what that implies is that those were questions in their minds. What mm. that implies is that those were questions that culture would have been asking of Jesus. But because of everything you just said, because of the way that Jesus is led, by this point, the disciples are catching on a little <laughs> bit and they're like, yeah, actually, gonna we're not going to ask. So for us as the reader, for us reading this in 2023, what is that? tell us that we should maybe do mm. when we encounter people who don't look like us, when we encounter mm. people who don't dress like us, when we encounter people who are from different places than we are, when we go into a space that we've never been, what should we maybe do? Be quiet mm. before we act. Be quiet before we speak. Listen to what God is saying before we open our own mouths. Mm -hmm. Maybe observe a little bit about about what God is doing. One of the one of the phrases that like like gets me so mad is when we say things like God showed up in that space, or when we say things like I'm going to take the gospel there. Nah, this is 2023. Pentecost happened. The Spirit of God is already there. The Spirit of God is already moving. Unless you don't believe actually that God is omnipresent, then God didn't show up. You showed up into mm -hmm. that space. That's right. So maybe we should stop saying things like, what are we doing here? How am I going to do something in this space? What am I going to bring? I'm, I'm going to bring the gospel to this space. No, the gospel is already there. We need to be quiet <laughs> and we need to listen. Sin, Thank you, Jesus. And we need to see what God is doing mm -hmm. in that space because we got invited in. We are the outsider. The Spirit of God is everywhere. Yeah. And it so it's so interesting to me that here, like, I mean... Some, like you brought up Jalen Walker earlier, the thing that we've seen in the news constantly this whole week has been Ralph Yarrow. Why? Because people make assumptions about what's on the other side of them mm -hmm. instead of looking for the image of God on the other side of them. Like There's so many yeah. issues in our culture, in our country, and in our world because none of us... Uh, take the posture of the, the disciples and take a pause and don't have the nerve yeah. to act on our own impulses the way they did. I think what hits me about the, the Rolodex of issues that you guys have already acknowledged in the news, but then similarly, the Rolodex that you can go through by flipping through John, like issue after issue after issue, right? The, 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 the wedding, 
Nicodemus, woman at the well. From here in John five, you're going to go on to you're going to go on to a man by the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter six, you're going to go on to thousands of hungry people where Jesus feeds them all. And like you, you go on all of these things. What is so striking to me is that in each example that I just named in John, in every example that we just named in the news, and in any example where somebody is in a pit of despair, Jesus does not keep scrolling past. Right. Jesus gives it his time. Mm-hmm. Jesus had every reason, as you guys just beautifully named and, and exegeted for us, Jesus had every reason to keep going past the woman. Jesus had every reason, even before he encounters the woman at the top of chapter four, had every reason to go past Samaria in general, but he doesn't. It says the spirit of God compelled him to go to this area I have to believe it was the same spirit that compelled him to speak to the woman in the first place. He did not scroll past, but he gave it his time. He gave this woman his time. And I think that I think that that is where becoming a ladder for somebody. That's where it begins is it's easy for us when we see somebody struggling for us to keep moving like, dang, hope they figure it out and keep it pushing because we don't have time to figure it out. Right. Or when we see somebody struggling, just assume like, dang, I don't really know if like they can be helpful to what I need right now. So like I'm a circle back when I feel like they're in a position to be more helpful to what I need right now. Right. Um, but Jesus gave his time. God gives us his time. Right. Which leads me then to the second part. It's a vision. There has to be a vision. We were just talking about this about this beforehand. What were we, what were we saying about uh, about there's got to be a vision? There's got to be a vision, man. Yeah. Proverbs is going to teach us without vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Like where there is a lack of vision or where there's no vision, like the people perish, right? But the reality is, like in the words of the words of one of my homies, uh, we'll leave the context out here. Sorry, Sue Nicholson, but uh, he's talking about Isaiah chapter six, where you have you have Isaiah, who's a prophet, and Isaiah, like after King Uzziah dies, like Isaiah is caught up into this heavenly vision, and he like sees the Lord. But what's so interesting is he sees the Lord for exactly who he is, and it says that he's high and lifted up, and the train of his robe like fills the whole entire temple of heaven. And he sees him like he sees God and his majesty and his glory. And after he sees God for who he is, he's able to see himself for who he is. And he says, like, woe is me from a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people who have unclean lips. And then it just gets real dope. Once he admits that God sends the seraphim to get the angels or to get the coal and the coal like is wiped on his lips as a symbol of like him being cleansed now. And after he's cleansed, he can be sent And a friend of mine, uh, in a preaching moment, this friend always only has preaching moments. <laughs> and in a preaching moment, he says, if we cannot see, if we can't see it, then we're not going anywhere. We're not going. If we can't see it, then we're not going. And the reality is, like, if we can't, like, see the Lord for who he is and see ourselves for who we are, then we're not going. If we don't have vision, 
if we don't have vision, then where in the world are we going? I have a horrible sense of direction. It's absolutely positively horrible. Uh, the only way that I legitimately get places is because of Google Maps. <laughs> if I don't have Google Maps, I can't get anywhere. The reality is, like, if we don't have vision, then we can't get into a better situation or out of a terrible situation. Like, we must, we got to have vision. Yeah. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a woman who's in despair. She has she has no hope. <clears throat> and how he, how, why she even keeps engaging in this conversation is because what Jesus offers is a vision of hope, right? He says to her, uh, he says to her next to a well in verse 13, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, right? I know, I know you take these day trips. Yeah. I know you take these daily trips in the middle of the day. Cause when you take them in the middle of the day, you know, nobody else out here is, is, is also at the well. And so nobody's going to talk to you. Nobody's going to ask you questions. Nobody's going to be questioning your scandalous little behind, right? Like, I know that. I know you take daily trips out here. And if, and if honestly, if you keep this up, right, you keep these patterns of behaviors up, man, like you're going to, you're going to stay thirsty, right? You're going to stay in the pit of despair. What he offers is a vision of hope when he says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never get thirsty again. Mm -hmm. Whoever drinks from the water I will give will never be thirsty again. Then he does a little, a little thing where he lets her know that, that, Hey, you know, like I know your personal situation. I know what's really going on and I have compassion and I have compassion for you and I see you. And, and she realizes like, yo, this is, this is a bigger, this is a bigger thing. Then, so, so he's already painted like a small vision for her of like, of like, Hey, like I'm going to offer you a hope that, that, that will see you fulfilled. Right. But then he goes even bigger and he's like, believe me, there will come a day. And he starts talking about the division that this woman has experienced as a Samaritan woman. He says, there will be a day. And he says, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, there will be a day where we're not worried about the division that is in our culture and in our, in our community, because we will worship together. Like that's the picture he paints where she's like, wow, it's something it's something different about this, about this guy, right? It's something different about this hope that he's, I've not heard of a hope like this before. So then that brings me then to the last part of becoming the latter, right? <clears throat> and that is offering encouragement. What Jesus is able to do is he's able to offer encouragement. And the reason that she's able to buy into the hope that he is so desperately peddling is that he offers encouragement that is specific to her. Yep. He says, go call your husband. <laughs> She's like, she, she tilts her head, right? That's what I'm picturing. She's like, bruh. And he's like, you're right. You have no husband. You've had five. Imagine that moment, right? Imagine like, like the thing that, that you're not very proud of and somebody that you don't even know just like, <laughs> throws it out there like yeah i'm hip to it i'm hip to it right and and he speaks to her in a way that she understands he sees her and uniquely her he speaks into her direct condition he doesn't say oh i know you you're you're like all samaritan women 
this is if Samaritan women want to get out of the pit of despair, then what Samaritan women would need to do is mm-hmm. Samaritan women need to. He doesn't do that. Right. He doesn't say, I know your type drawing, drawing water in the middle of the day. I know what brings you here. I know what you've gotten into. And if your type wants that, he doesn't do that. He gets real specific. He lets her know that he knows her situation. And even still, I am he, he says, who comes to offer you hope. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he said, he says, I want you to know that I am he and that he, the Messiah who you have been waiting on has come specifically to you. The thing that I hear you saying, both of you saying, actually, when you're talking about the vision in Isaiah and you're talking about the, um, the situation with the Samaritan woman is that you cannot serve what you cannot see. Hmm. You cannot serve what you cannot see. So like when you're talking about Isaiah in the throne room, like he saw God and then he saw clearly is what you said. And you're talking about the Samaritan woman and you're saying like he spoke clearly into her situation. He saw her uniquely as a person. What Isaiah didn't do was go into uh, go into Judah and say to everybody, hey, y'all, here's this big, huge blanket statement that I am giving you from my own personal life experience and this thing that worked for me, and so therefore it will work for you. No, he saw God, and then he saw specifically what God told him to do, and he did that. And when you're talking about the Samaritan woman, like Jesus took the time to speak with her personally he took the time to consult his father because remember you know we we see in john where jesus says i only do what i see the father doing i only do what my father in heaven tells me to do so he took the time to consult god on what it was that he was to do why it was that he was to pass through samaria and what it was that he should specifically say to this woman he took the time to truly see her and know her and then he communicated to her because you cannot serve what you do not see. And so unless we are taking the time to uniquely get to know our communities, to uniquely get to know who is sitting in the bottom of the pit of despair and how it is that they uniquely, specifically got there and what has created the circumstances that got them there and what is uniquely going to be good news to help them get out. We cannot help because if we take our own ideas and put them onto somebody else's situation and say, this is your answer, that's called colonizing. That's not going to help. That's actually what got us all in this situation. That's how we found ourselves here. That doesn't work and and unless we want to have a whole future that does not learn from our past then we have to learn to uniquely see people we have to learn to uniquely see who and what is on the other side of us and what got people into the pit of despair in the first place because then we're going to have the actual good news to get them out of it right yeah what i love what i love about this passage and how it speaks to being in pits of despair how what we're talking about is a ladder out of despair is this text literally is going to show us not only like the ladder out of despair 
but how the ladder out of despair is a ladder out of despair and into destiny. This woman at the well, quite literally, is going to go be a ladder mm-hmm. for the place that she's from in Samaria. She's going to leave that well. Yep. And she's going to go back to where yeah. she's from. Yep. And she's going to go tell everyone Everybody. about this man who knew everything mm-hmm. about yep. her. And she's yep. going to give her testimony. And quite literally, I mean, this is... People can argue with me if they want. But I mean, it's the first time someone preaches the gospel. Yeah. He's other the, than... He, this is the first time that Jesus re- revealed himself as Messiah. It's one of the longest recorded conversations. And... And it's the first time that the gospel is taken to a nation. To a nation. Who's not Jesus. Who's not Jesus. Who's not Jesus. She literally is going to not only like find her destiny in this ladder out of despair, but she's going to go and she's going to quite literally be a ladder for other people out of despair. So I hope what gets taken out of all that is the encouragement First of all, first of all, if you find yourself in a place of despair, um, that you know that there is a ladder extended to you, if not by your neighbor, at the very least in the person of Jesus. But I also hope for the rest of us who are listening to this, that we take we take it as a challenge to be the ladder for the for the folks around us for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our classmates, for our communities. Because man, it's a lot of it's a lot of hurting folks out here. And uh and it's not because people want to be sad. Mm-hmm. It's because our world has fallen. It's a really hard place to live and we all go through it sometimes. And some of us have been going through it for a lot longer than others. You never know what put somebody in the pit in the first place. But I hope that we receive this as a challenge to be the ladder for for our neighbors, to be the ladder for for those that we are tempted to just scroll past. Because what could happen as a result is you could set off a chain reaction that changes the world. Literally. That's what we learned from John 4. Changes the world. Absolutely. So that's that's our encouragement. I hope uh, I hope it finds you well. And we'll we'll talk to you soon. Bless up. Bless up. up.